Hello, everyone. Welcome to Shreya and Yannan's podcast, hosted by your very own Shreya and Yannan. Mellow. We did it. <laughs> yeah.、Um, how are you doing, Shreya? Yannan is going to have a lot to edit on this episode. Yeah, I know. Sorry. We were like trying to figure out how to create like a fun, interesting intro, but ended up just saying that. <laughs> The most boring. It's not boring. It's just like, hello, how are you?、Um, anyway, today we're talking about stories and storytelling.、Um, that was something we hinted on the past episode and wanted to kind of expound on. There's not really much of a,、uh, I guess, an outline for this, so we're just going to go at it. But yeah.、Um, But first, fun question, just for fun. <laughs> What is your favorite meal from the SDR? I know that you are no longer on campus. You make your own food. Heck yeah. But what was your favorite meal from the SDR?、Um, uh, let's see. I like the Asian Corner. The Asian Corner is probably the best thing that's ever happened to the SDR.、Um, especially when my friend Erem started cooking for、um, food service. What's、mm. yours? Everything that I ever have in the SDR is sometimes it looks better than it tastes. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I work for Res Life. I appreciate everything that Moody has done for me. I love Moody. Good. Go Archers. <laughs> 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 But so I think that my favorite meal in the SDR. His roast beef. I thought it was meatloaf. Or no, meatloaf. <laughs> the roast beef is also really good, like with the noodles. <laughs> I, think, I think that the meatloaf is my favorite, and here is a really, really good reason why. It looks, it, it tastes better than it looks.、Mm. Um, it looks kind of iffy because it's meatloaf, but then it tastes really good. Yeah. And then you put some ketchup on it, and it's like, wow. Yeah. Meatloaf. Yeah. So, anything in the SDR that tastes better than it looks or just as good as it looks, I'm a fan of. Okay. Cool. Nice. Uh, hot take on the SDR. <laughs> hot take. <laughs>、um, anyway. <laughs> Today, we're talking about stories、um, after talking about our favorite meals in the SDR. Um, and the interesting thing about stories is that,、um, or at least why it's so compelling to me, at least, is the fact that it's all around us and that stories are always being told like everywhere.、Um, and sometimes we are not even aware that a story is being narrated, nar- narrated to us in the moment. So I think that's really crucial because. I grew up in the Philippines.、Um, and in the Philippines, we have kind of a,、uh, kind of a matriarchal、uh, culture, in a sense, where in many ways the grandmother of the home is always kind of looked up to as the symbol of the home.、Um, and so I grew up with my grandmother, and we call them Lolas, you know, like grandmothers in the Philippines are called Lolas. So I grew up. With my Lola, and、uh, she used to tell stories all the time. And she was also like just so deep in her faith. And really, if there's like only one person in the world who's shown me what it means to follow Jesus, 
and live a life according to Christ. It is my Lola. And yeah, she just kind of told stories all the time. She'd read the Bible as stories. She'd talk about her faith through stories and just kind of live life through the stories that she told. And I remember, because I grew up with her, um, those stories that she told me. And um, on top of that, my grandmother, my Lola, she was a gardener. And she loved to work at a garden and plant plants and um, harvest fruit from like trees. And she just loved being in that place where her hands met the dirt and the dirt met her hands. Um, and she was there every morning, like seriously, break of, you know, break of dawn. She's just out there watering her plants. And then she'd start talking to them. And they'd be in this conversation, even though the plants didn't audibly respond back to her, she'd still be talking to them um, as if they were just sharing stories with each other around the dinner table. Um, it was a really interesting kind of sight for me to see that and experience to kind of have a grand- grandmother who did that. And so one day I approached my Lola and I told her like, Lola, why do you talk to the plants? And then she told me like, oh, it's because it's because they are alive and it's because they breathe it's because they speak and i'm like you can't audibly hear them though and she's like well you just have to listen closely and listen closer and there's something really interesting about that because i realized as i grew up especially when i moved here to the united states that there are a lot of stories floating around us and sometimes we tend to block those stories Uh, around us because we're kind of caught in this tunnel vision in this kind of uh, reductionistic perspective that's only limited to your experience and to what stories you're telling yourself Um, or to the stories of your own community that you're not able to hear the stories of others around you and empathize with them and I think um, stories are incredibly crucial because like my grandmother the only way she was able to be part of her garden and live life with her garden was because she was able to just silence herself and listen closely to even plants that don't speak and in that way kind of create this bond with you know with her plants and her garden and the things that she planted in a way that like um i guess like revealed something to her that she's never before uh, seen before what do you think about that shreya do you have any thoughts on that I think it was really interesting how you talked about your grandmother talking to the plants. Mm-hmm. I I think that that's so weird in our culture. We don't comprehend talking to the earth in that way, talking to inanimate objects in that way. Um, but I think we get disconnected from our humanity and the design of creation in Genesis where we are a part of the earth. We are a part of creation. And it seems like your grandmother understood that than most people. She understood her relationship with the earth in accordance with God, not as separate or in some pagan or animistic way, but really living into her creatureliness, living into um, her the being made in the image of God and her God-given design, so. Yeah, and the thing about that too that's very interesting is because like stories, um, especially within our communities, 
or within particular communities are rooted in particular localities. And what I mean by that is that my grandmother, when she was um, kind of, uh, when she was gardening, was so in tune with her place and locality that she knew which stories to tell. And in that sense, she was aware of what stories she was telling um, as a creature from that particular place. Um, and my grandmother, like my Lola, she <laughs> she called those plants by particular names and particular names that came out of a particular place. Like, for instance, there was this flower that she take, you know, took care of for years. It was called, it's here in the States, it's called the hibiscus flower. Um, but there in the Philippines, it's called the gumamela flower. And there's a different connotation to that than the connotation that's given here to the, to the United States. States. Um, the gumamela flower is in many ways in the Philippines kind of um, a, a symbol of beauty and that is recognized uh, by many, many different tribes across the Philippines. And my grandmother knew that. And that's why she cared for the gumamelas because of that cultural kind of weight that it had um, as a symbol of beauty in that place. Um, whereas here, I don't think hibiscus flowers are understood in that way. Like, yes, they are beautiful, but it wasn't kind of a unifying symbol of beauty for mm. um, for the United States. At least that was something I noticed. And my grandmother knew that because she was so in tune with the place and the culture and the language and the language which, uh, you know, people use to tell stories. Like, she knew all that by being so in tune to the land and by stepping close that even though the plants are not audibly speaking to her, she can still she still knows that they're alive and she knows that they're breathing and that the breaths she inhales comes from plants and mm-hmm. uh, the breaths she exhales goes into plants, into, into this like perpetual cycle of mutual interdependence with the land. Um, What's one story that sticks out to you with your grandmother like what's one story that she told you that you still hold on to today okay she emphasized the importance of stories for me so like i said i grew up with my lola and my lola taught me a lot about what it really taught me a lot about what it means to be a christian a follower of jesus every morning she'd wake up at 5 five thirty, somewhere around that time She'd make coffee. She'd drink coffee. And as she's drinking coffee, she's reading stories of the Bible. And then right after that, she'd go into her garden. And she'd, she'd be there for really most of the day, watering, caring, gardening, planting, nurturing, cultivating the land. And I remember one day in her garden, she reminded me that the whole kind of the whole community of human beings, meaning the entire world, all human beings throughout time and space are people of the land. And she told me this story, the story about a garden, a garden that resembled what it meant to be human. And she said, human beings are like a garden. Human beings have roots and these roots are tied to the land And these roots are entangled with each other in a way that supports each other and depends on each other. Mm. And then she brought up this cultural concept or kind of a cultural value that many Filipinos have. And it's a value called bayanihan. 
And bayanihan is a word that means to be of a village or to be from a village. Because the root word, the root word of bayanihan is the word bayan, which means village. And so what it means is to be part of a village. And it's something at the very heart of Filipino culture is to be part of a village, meaning to be one of a larger whole and to see yourself as part of this larger whole. And she said that this is what gardens do. That when a plant is planted, when seeds are planted, it grows. And it only grows because the land is healthy. Because the land is being cultivated by other plants, by cycles of life, by fertilizers, by things that happen within the soil. And thus, all the plants grow because the land is fruitful and healthy. And she says that plants do not see themselves as individuals. They see themselves as part of a community, as part of a garden that depends upon each other for healthiness and for, you know, to flourish and to be fruitful. And she said that's what human beings are supposed to be. They're supposed to be part of villages, part of gardens, to embody the spirit of Bayanihan, which is to see oneself as part of a larger whole, as part of a larger village. Um, and I think that was something that really stuck with me because when we think of stories and when we think of storytelling, we are reminded that our stories only have meaning when it is in conversation with other stories. Mm. If we go to Acts 2, right, Pentecost, the Spirit descends upon those who are following Jesus. And they started speaking in different languages, languages that weren't theirs. They started speaking in languages of other people peoples they've never met before maybe or maybe languages they've never encountered but suddenly they they were speaking it with fluency and with clarity um but the only way and i'm, I'm borrowing this from uh, uh, a scholar a bible scholar who um i had the pleasure of learning from his name was eric barreto uh, he's a a scholar at princeton seminary um teaches new testament um and he, he said that the only way for them in that moment of Pentecost to, uh, to be able to kind of embody that spirit of Pentecost was to be in conversation with other people. Because the language you were speaking or the languages they were speaking had no substance or had no meaning or purpose apart from community. They had to be speaking to one another in order to be known. And that's really interesting and, in fact, very compelling, at least to me, because that is the very nature of what it means to be good storytellers. Because to be good storytellers is to captivate people's imaginations in a way that kind of brings people together, that brings minds and hearts and bodies together in a way that's never been seen before. And so that's why empathy is so crucial in understanding the stories around us. Because if we are only caught, if we are caught in our stories and our stories alone, then meaning uh, and purpose is never there. Like there is literally no meaning to the stories in our lives apart from others around us. And so therefore our stories have to be in conversation in dialogue with others so that they might have substance and so that there might be life springing out of it, um, out of those conversations. And so that's, yeah, that was something that my grandmother taught me, taught me and something that I still kind of, keep with me as I go with my life. Thanks for sharing that. I think going back to what you were saying about people being like a garden 
I was reminded by I was reminded about a sermon that I listened to recently mm-hmm. at the Progressive Baptist Church, um, where Charlie Dates was preaching on Psalm chapter one. It was really interesting to me because I have the psalm memorized thanks to Professor Pavanor. <laughs> and I was interested to hear a sermon on this because I haven't heard a sermon on Psalm one in a really long time, especially since I've memorized this psalm. And since I've memorized it as a part of um, CWC, which we have to say we had to say it every single time we had a lecture, it was it became almost like a liturgy. And it was really interesting and important to hear Charlie Dates preach on this psalm because it he exegetically proved how Psalm 1 opens up the discussion to all the other psalms. And it it was interesting because when he got to the part where it says um, the wise the wise man or the righteous man would be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. He explained that he is the metaphor of um, the West Coast and the tree is like the redwood trees that are so tall and grand and mm. Um, obviously these, these aren't the same trees that are in Israel, but just the idea of, um, the trees roots go not necessarily deep, but they are also intertwined with each other. Mm. And so he said that as trees, as people that walk in righteousness in the word of God, the water sustains us, the living water that is Christ and that is his word and we get our strength and our sustenance from God but we also have to be intertwined with each other and so I think it's really interesting that your story with your grandmother is talking about people being like a garden and plants being interwoven with each other and you see that in Psalm 1 you see that in scripture and I'm in Hebrew right now, and the words just really theologically stick out to me because even the word for hu- humankind or man um, is Adam, and then the word for earth or ground is Adama. And so it directly comes from that. Those two words are interrelated. Yeah, and I think that's why we have to um, have a, a healthy really vision of what creation is and what he called like okay there's this book that i kind of want to recommend to people listening um it's called the hidden life of trees i forgot the name of the author (laughs) but if you look it up the hidden life of trees and there's also like a documentary which i want to see someday but um basically what he's saying is that they're all interconnected in a way that not one tree is solitary from the other. Like those redwood trees you were talking about that um, Pastor Dates like talked about in his sermon, it's um, these trees are united to each other in a way that they're dependent upon one another and that without the other, one has no purpose. Um, in fact, one of those redwood trees will fail if its roots do not connect with a different redwood tree um, because they <laughs> literally hold each other and keep each other afloat. Um, and... I think that's why, yeah, stories are important. And that's also why I believe that the arts are important and the stories we th- we tell through our arts. I think um, there has been 
especially in recent years, uh, downplaying, a downplaying of what the arts are and what the arts could be and what the arts do and how they can edify communities. Um, and in many ways, I'm one of those people who uh, really advocates to bridge that gap between theology and art and to see how art, artistry and creativity can be deeply theological and how theology can be deeply poetic. Um, which, by the way, is a segue into... Another thing I wanted to ask Shreya, so if you've been following us on Instagram, which you definitely should, it's shreya.yanins.podcast. That's our <laughs> username on Instagram. And if you've been following us, uh, we've been posting. Instagram handles don't have a posture. <laughs> yeah, they don't, which is kind of weird. But um, yeah, we've been posting on Instagram about Shreya's uh, feature on the Faith and Chai podcast uh, through the South Asian InterVarsity uh, organization and uh, her poem, which is personally one of my favorite poems that I've heard uh, and read. It's called Pressure Cooker, and you I'm should check it out. My head. <laughs> it is really good. Um, and I, if you want to check it out, go visit the Faith and Chai podcast. Um, you can listen to it through that uh, through there. But Shreya, you do something very interesting with the poem, which I think you're telling a story, a theological story, through your own experience in poetry. So I was wondering, how how did you go about that poem and what are you trying to communicate? Well, for one, it's easier for me to express myself honestly through poetry. I can be very explicit about my feelings. I can use hyperbole. I can exaggerate things. And it may appear as if it's poetic because I'm just exaggerating but really, that's the intensity of my emotions. Maybe it's not the intensity of reality, but it's okay. It's allowed in poetry, whereas just in everyday prose, you kind of have to simmer down and just tell tell it how it is. But in Pressure Cooker, I was able to tell a story, especially at the beginning. I did invite people into my story. I traveled back in time and recalled images that are seared into my mind of the story that I lived, and I put it into words so that people could live that with me. And I gave a very one-sided perspective. They were looking through my eyes, um, so I was narrating it through my story, my lens. And I think that telling a story through poetry can be very powerful because it not only invites the listeners or readers into your story and your narrative, but it can resonate with others because poetry can be metaphorical enough and arbit arbitrary to be able to resonate with other people. For example, like if you write a poem about a tree, um, it could be talking about a very specific instance in your life. And in that way, it is very particular to your story. But someone can read it and listen to it, and they can resonate with their own story and see how your stories are intertwined and inter interact with each other because everybody knows what a tree is. And so in that way, poetry can do a unique kind of storytelling where it can unite listeners by using just everyday objects and metaphors but 
I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think what was really interesting, I think why I was so touched by the poem was because you talk particularly about like just your past experiences and especially that transition from one place to another because i mean earlier we we're talking about land right the, the importance of land and place but what happened in your poem or at least the emotions you were trying to um revisit through your poem was the emotion of moving of transferring from one place to another from one land to another and i was wondering how how that felt and to be someone in between lands and what that means for you, especially in pursuit of listening to other people's stories and empathizing with them. Yeah. What's really interesting is my story consists of me immigrating to the United States from India. And my poem is very much about that experience. It pretty much encapsulates my experience as an Indian American and in that, I turn that into a motif. I turn that into a story telling of my childhood and using the story in itself as sort of a parable. Um, and I think that's kind of what Jesus did. He, he told stories, and the whole story was an allegory. It was a parable in a sense, and that's what I tried to do with my poem and I think that it represented a greater audience, or yeah, a, a greater people. It represented anyone that's ever felt like in their process of assimilating to the culture in the United States, their own identity has been wiped away. And there's a great loss and grief in that. And that's what my poem was. It was a lament to that. And what's really interesting is so many people, people that have similar stories as me or even very different, came up to me and they thanked me for performing um, Pressure Cooker. They resonated with it and they thanked me for it. Um, and that was, that was that moment where we're kind of describing how stories can connect and intertwine and have conversation with each other because when ev each and every individual that came up to me and thanked me for sharing my poem, Pressure Cooker, what they were saying was that their story met my story. And our stories have dialogue. Our stories have a connection. And they're grateful for that. They're grateful to have a voice in my story and some um, element of representation. Yeah, and I think this reminds me of uh, the theologian Karl Barth. He was uh, he's a Swiss theologian, and uh, I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, because I'm I'm a big Karl Barth guy, and that's why Sherry's laughing because it's I can't say Karl Barth. Karl, well, I know I just said it, <laughs> but if I try to say it fast, it just is really hard. Do it. Carl Bart, like I think I say Car Car Bart. I it would be easier to say Car Bart. Car Bart. But the L with the B, the phonetics of that. <laughs> is Car too Carl, much. Carl Bart. Okay. 
I'm a linguistics major. <laughs> she is linguistics. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, Karl Barth uh, is one of my theological heroes, and there was something really explosive about his theological project that changed, really, the course of theology in the modern era. And because he understood Jesus Christ as an event, as an event in history, as God breaking into, right, this, this God who is infinitely and qualitatively different and distinct from everything else that exists, this God who is beyond all suddenly became in all in Christ, meaning that Christ broke into the story of history and lived within the story of history to reorient everything around him. And suddenly all of our stories wherever we may find ourselves, whatever those particular stories in our particular localities may look like, are now in dialogue with the story of Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, who is now giving it an all-new meaning and an all-new life. I think that's something that Shreya, uh, which I really loved about what you said, is like how you s- told your story about your life through the poem, and then suddenly people were engaging with that, and your story was now dialoguing with the people around you. And I think that's precisely what Christ did. And I think uh, that's precisely what we're supposed to do is to embody Jesus Christ as the divine storyteller who puts his stories in dialogue with the stories of the people around him and says, let me give that meaning. Let me give you and your stories meaning and purpose. Um, And not to erase those stories, but really just to fulfill them, to say that I affirm this. And now let me take it further and bring it to its fullest possibility, um, to its fullest capability. Um, And I think that's something really crucial is to understand storytelling like Jesus did. He spoke parables not to destroy or to demean or to make the people around him feel small, but to encourage them and edify them by saying the kingdom of God is here. And the story of God's kingdom is one of belonging and welcoming. And that's why Jesus ate with the most unlikely people um, in that time, he ate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, and he touched lepers and engaged his story with the stories of the of the marginalized and the outcasts during his time in his society, and said that you belong here too, that my story is for you as well, and so receive the gospel and may that give you meaning. And so that's kind of just my encouragement to the people listening. That yeah, you you use some words that I would love to define. For our audience, do it. You said locality and then particularity. Can you define what those mean? Because not everyone right. probably uses those words in everyday conversation. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, particularity. Um, it's actually a theological term that refers to who Jesus is. Right, the Son of God as a human being, his particular humanity, meaning that Jesus is a Jewish man in the first century and lived in that particular place as a particular person from, you know, Nazareth and as a carpenter. You know, it's it's just the identity markers, the very specific identity markers that make someone human um, and make someone a person, make someone someone who has an identity. So what's um, your particularity? So for me, my particularity is I'm Filipino, right, which is a general kind of ethnic term. Um, but to even go diff. Uh, go more specific and more particular. I'm a Filipino who comes from the Misamis Oriental region, coming from Cagayan de Oro City, coming from uh, Balulang, which is a village 
Upper Balulong specifically. <laughs> like those are my particularities and the language that I speak. I speak Filipino, but even more specifically, I speak a dialect, a local dialect called Bisaya, but not kind of a general Bisaya. It's an even more specific kind of Bisaya that is rooted in the place that I lived in, in Cagayan de Oro City. Mm-hmm. So it's a Cagayanon Bisaya which has its own terms and language and rules, you know? Next time we should talk about language. We should do that. I think we will do that I really next. love languages. Yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're, we're going to go crazy on that one. That's going to be fun. Um, but that's... Shout out to Travis Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shout out to sociolinguistics. Heck yeah. Um, sociolinguistics. Yeah, Social that's a class I'm taking. Yeah, that's It's right. called language and society. I was supposed it, to take I that, then I dropped. Because you're a loser. <laughs> You heard lost. that. You lost the moody game. I'm taking the best classes. Shreya, Shreya just called me a loser in public on a podcast, which is now recorded forever for the end of time. Um, Wait, so <laughs> about your particularity. So particularity. Locality. <laughs> locality. Uh, locality is like a place, you know? So think. Why does that matter? Um, why does it matter? Because we cannot generalize. Again, we're meeting particular stories, right? Stories that come from particular localities or places. And like I said, like, I mean, think about it. My grandmother, right? My Lola, which is already a particularity in and of itself. The names that I give her, grandmother in English in the United States, Lola in the Philippines, in that particular place. And then even more so, she's a gardener, right? And she had this flower that she loved. It was called the gumamela. Because of the place it was in, it was called a gumamela and had a particular kind of cultural understanding of what that meant. It was a symbol of beauty, something that many Filipinos, even to this day, culturally understand as a symbol of beauty. It's deep. It's mysterious. It's beautiful. It's crazy awesome. All right. Um, and I don't think you'd get that understanding if you were here in the United States. I, I, when I saw the gumamelas here in the States, which, by the way, is not called gumamela. They're called hibiscus flowers. Because again, of the place that we're in, um, when I saw them, they many people did not regard them in the same way as, say, the people in my homeland would regard them. They were just seen as flowers here, whereas they're in the Philippines. They're known as gumamelas. They're known as something deeper and more culturally um, kind of significant than just hibiscus. So that's why particularity and locality matters is because we're really trying to empathize with the specifics of stories, not to overgeneralize them to the point where we can make caricatures or to the point where we can make straw men out of them and not really engage with them, but just kind of, you know you know what I mean? Like it's actually engaging with them and interacting with them in a way that cross-pollinates, in a way that brings life to both, not just life to one at the detriment of the other. It's life to both. It's... It's dialogical. It's life-giving. It's joy and peace and beauty and hope all bundled in this thing called empathy. Um, and that's that's really at the heart of it. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yannan's over here preaching a sermon. Heck yeah. I'm not a preacher, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so... How would this apply to the average Moody student? Because it seems very abstract. Yeah. And... I would love to know, like, how can we take this into our everyday particularities? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to hear what you have to say on that. Um, Mm. But first, I think for me, 
is to understand the place that we're in. We're not just in the United States. We're not just in Illinois. We're not just in Chicago. We're not just in River North. We're at Moody Bible Institute. And the particular buildings, the aesthetic arrangements, like these are all things that we need to be aware of, right? It's to know the place. What has, like the history of Moody. Mm. How did it start? What is it, What was the purpose of building Moody? How did we end up here, right? Um, and also knowing where we are situated, right? Where we are. on Right now, we're facing south. So to the west, or well, technically, let's do it this you're way. You're facing south. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm you're, facing north. So you're facing north. Again, specifics, right? I, everyone's not facing south. Trey is facing north. Um, anyway, so to the east of Moody Bible Institute, right? To the east, towards Lake Michigan, we have Michigan Avenue. The Magnificent Mile. Everyone goes out there to buy Gucci, to buy Apple products, to buy, I don't know, like Disney. Oh, the Disney store closed. I just found out about that the other day. That's kind of sad. I know someone that worked there. I know, me too. Um, but anyway, like you have all these amazing stores that's full of people all the time. And mostly rich people, like wealthy people who can buy stuff um, and who have the resources to do that. However, west of Moody, just a few blocks away, just walk down west you'll find the remnants of Cabrini Green, a historically black community, right, which is impoverished. And that community has been heavily gentrified and segregated for years. And that's just a few miles away from Moody to the west. And Moody is in between, in Mm. between a historically, like, impoverished, segregated, gentrified community and another community that is full of tourists full of wealthy people that is Gucci, Versace, Sephora, all these classy stuff that I will never be able to buy. <laughs> you know, like we are caught in between and that means something. Yeah. There's a story being told there. What are we doing about that? Yeah. I think that's really significant because we're called to do ministry here. And that's why so many students choose to come to Moody because of our opportunities to serve in the city but sometimes I feel like our campus can become so, like, abstracted, mm-hmm. abstracted from, or, yeah, just, like, kind of separated from the city as a whole. I I could spend my entire days here. I could walk through the tunnels in the winter and never go outside. Yeah. That's a different topic for a different day. <laughs> <laughs> Stories. Yeah. I think my answer to my own question would be to look around the room at the people in your classes and to just start asking them, like, what is their story? And not to assume that we all come from similar lives, similar backgrounds. There's a lot more diversity and thought here at, with the student body than we we think, and I think we use... We kind of take large brush brush strokes of, oh, we're all at Moody Bible Institute, so we must all agree and believe the same things. But in doing so, we can lack empathy and charity in how we present ourselves because we just assume that every single one, every single person around us has the same story. And that's a really unfair assumption to make without even being able to listen first to their stories. So I think 
start asking people in your brosis on your floor in the SDR or in your classes, like what what is their story? What is their particularity? Um, and just learning where they're coming from. Yeah. And I mean, just to really end this, I think what my Lala said years upon years ago, I'm not that old, but what she told me back then is I think something that we all should remember. A question. She asked a question. Are you listening close enough? Are you listening? And I think that's something we have to ask ourselves every day. Am I listening? Am I listening to my own story? Am I listening to the stories around me? Am I listening to my land and to the place that I'm walking upon? Am I listening close enough to the point, to the point where even the quietest, the most silent voices in the world could be heard? And so, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Do you have any funny stories? Funny stories. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Funny stories. Yeah, I have a funny story I was going to tell. Go for it. Well, one really good storyteller at the Moody Bible Institute is the Dr. Ashish Barma. What a king. What a king. Amazing man. He is. He tells stories every single day in class. Beautiful. But he made fun of me the other day. <laughs> and you're saying this on a this podcast. This is my funny story. So this is um this is our plug for the next episode because we're gonna talk about languages, right? Cool. Hopefully. Yeah. Um so this man. So okay, first of all, it's not namaste, it's namaste. I think that's how yeah. And I took Hindi last semester with um second language acquisition and we were taught, oh, you say namaste jai masiki. And I even said it closer to what Dr. Varman thinks I should say. But <laughs> I said namaste jai masiki, like pronounced that way. And that just means like a greeting like in Christ. Um, and that's what you're adding to it. And um, and Dr. Varma just came at me. He was like, jai masiki? You sound so American. I was like, how do you say it? And he was like, Jai or something like that. And I was like, oh, I've never heard that in my life, but maybe it's a regional dialect. <laughs> That's so funny. Dr. Varma, if you're listening to this, we, we, we love you. We care about you. Thank um, you for telling us stories. Thank you for telling us your stories. And we hope to keep hearing from you and your stories. Also, take it easy, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Share this episode if you want. Yep. You can follow us on Instagram. You can repost our posts. Yep. And um, yeah, tune in for the next episode. Yeah. Yeah, the next episode, I think, will be about languages. So if you're interested, tune in. <laughs> I got to go. Yeah, me too. Bye. Right, bye.